Hello and welcome to the HPP Podcast. I am your host, Arden Castle, and this week's episode comes from our People and Places collection. If you love visuals, I suggest checking out our YouTube channel for the video version of this interview. Enjoy! Hello and welcome. This is Health Promotion Practices Author Interviews, and my name is Arden Castle. Each episode, we will explore a recently published article and its author. This week, I am joined by Dr. Liz Chen, author of Enhancing Community-Based Participatory Research Through Human-Centered Design Strategies, which was published in January of 2020. This episode is focused on her professional career, which is just one part of a three-part series with Dr. Liz Chen. Tune into our other episodes to hear more about her and our other authors. But without further ado, Welcome, Dr. Liz Chen. How are you doing today? I'm doing well. It is finally fall in North Carolina, and so I'm excited that the weather is more brisk and I can actually breathe instead of swim when I go outside with the break in humidity. So uh, looking forward to spending more time outside. Excellent. Yeah, and I feel like we've all been cooped up, so it's going to be nice to have outside be a reasonable place to be. Agreed. So you currently work for UNC Gillings School of Public Health, but you haven't always worked in higher education. How did you go from a high school science teacher to a researcher? What did that journey look like? Yeah, it's a great question. So coming out of my undergraduate training, I focused my undergraduate degree and research in medical anthropology and then earned a certificate in global health and health policy and so knew that I was really interested in health and healthcare and lived experiences of people interacting with the healthcare and public health systems. But it was just really daunting actually to look at all of the options for public health schools coming out of undergrad and I wasn't quite sure what field of specialty I wanted to go into. And so before I picked, I decided that I really needed to spend more time learning more about systems that touch a lot of people and most people in our country, which is the K-12 education system. And so I chose to apply and accept a position with Teach for America in Eastern North Carolina, which is what initially brought me to this state and took a two-year placement teaching high school biology and chemistry in Northampton County, which is on the North Carolina and Virginia border. And I absolutely loved it and really enjoyed interacting with mostly 10th, 11th, and 12th grade students in a community that was rural and very different from the one that I was raised in. And so it was eye-opening to travel and live in a different part of the country and then to listen a lot to students and parents and fellow teachers and hear what their experiences were like growing up and to really gain insight from them about what they wanted to see improved about health education in their schools and communities. And so once I started asking questions and getting answers, I realized that I didn't have skills that I wanted to be able to collaboratively address these concerns and challenges alongside students and parents and school leaders and so chose to pursue my master's in public health degree at Gillings in the Department of Health Behavior and so really appreciated getting 
rigorously trained for both a career in practice and research that focused on intervention design and evaluation. And while I was in my two-year master's program, continued to work with teachers and community members and students in rural Eastern North Carolina and started some projects in collaboration with them. And so chose to enter a PhD program directly out of my master's program and then went through all of that. And so my area of research right now is at the intersection of adolescent sexual health, mobile health, and design thinking or human-centered design. And so I'm really interested in how we can use tech for good, especially for young people, to equip them with the knowledge and skills that they want and need to thrive. So <laughs> that is the medium version <laughs> of how I got here. And that is really exciting going from a place that you know to a different opportunity with different folks where you're listening more and thinking more about different perspectives and then a humble moment to think maybe I need more resources and then going back to school and then really thinking about how technology can be so helpful these days. And I'm aware that you co-founded a technology nonprofit called My Health Ed with two other minority women in 2016, which is really exciting. Can you tell us about this app and how it relates to design thinking? You were saying that technology can really help. And I'm curious, how did this come about? Yeah, so earlier in 2014, we had applied for and received grant funding. And ultimately the grant came from the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services through the Office of Adolescent Health. And it was in support of a program administered by what was then called the National Campaign to Prevent Teen and Unplanned Pregnancy, the national nonprofit, and is now called Power to Decide. And that particular accelerator opportunity was looking for teams of three who would be willing to spend some time thinking about how to improve teen pregnancy rates across the country. And the requirements were that it had to be some sort of technological solution and we would have to undergo human-centered design training and apply those methods to our research. And so we were fortunate enough to be selected and then were trained formally by IDEO, the design firm out in the San Francisco Bay Area. And the focus of our project was teens ages 13 to 15 and trying to figure out how to better equip them with high quality online sexual health resources that were already developed. We chose the population towards the end of middle school and at the beginning of high school because we knew that there were a decent number of evidence-based classroom programs for older high school students, but that many students initiate sexual intercourse between middle school and high school and in the first couple of years of high school. And so wanted to really target our intervention for that specific age group. And so after many rounds of engaging with young people and other adults and stakeholders involved in their lives, we ultimately launched an app called Real Talk, which is available for download in iTunes right now. And it's an app that crowdsources real stories from real teens on a variety of taboo topics including puberty, bullying, and relationships. And our young people submit stories and our team curates them. And then 
We link each of the published stories in our app with a high quality online sex ed resource from trusted places like amaze.org. So young people have indicated that they really like sharing their stories, reading other people's perspectives, and then also learning by being directed to credible, trustworthy sources. And so that is the app and we have had success having users across more than 100 countries and have had over 15,000 downloads worldwide. And so that is something that we're really proud of. And while I'm no longer explicitly part of the organization, I really continue to support the nonprofit's mission in using design thinking to improve the health and well-being of young people of every identity. That is really, really exciting and really cool. I mean, that's a lot of downloads and a lot of impact that this is able to do and not only connecting them with other peers with perhaps similar stories, but then also getting that to the research. I think that's just an excellent and really cool way to use design thinking. Yeah, there's definitely a gap in education for those priority populations. As you mentioned, this spans all these different identities. I'm curious, as an Asian woman, how has your identity shaped the way that you interact with public health? It's a great question. I am the daughter of two immigrants and identify as Chinese American and grew up in a predominantly white suburb of Boston and recognized early that I did not look like the majority of the peers that surrounded me. And I think that sense of otherness made me realize that I have a variety of different identities, not just my racial ethnic one, but am a daughter, am a former teacher, am now a co-founder of a tech nonprofit, and then also a professor. And so intersect with a lot of different identities and a lot of axes of privilege. And so I think a lot about the community partners with whom I work, the students with whom I teach and mentor that my identity and which lens I choose to approach my different aspects of work might change as to which ones are more at the forefront depending on the activity that I'm doing. But I am constantly aware and reflecting on my identity and what it means in the spaces that I'm in and with the people that I interact with. And so I think now more than ever, more folks are and need to continue reflecting on their unique identities and their intersectionality and how that impacts the way that they see the world and other people and especially their public health work. I definitely agree. I think that it's interesting that we don't want to leave ourselves in this box, but recognizing the places that those give us power and privilege or, or don't, but that we carry so many different identities with us. I think that you said that well. I'm curious, do you have any advice that you would give a young professional entering the field? In general, I think that in the last six months have been very telling of this, but our field is constantly changing. And so we need to be prepared to adapt and be flexible based on what happens in the world. And so encouraging folks to 
focus on the skills that they want to build that could translate across different content areas, potentially rather than committing early to a specific content area and limiting yourself in the way that you apply your skills to public health challenges. I think mentorship is also really important. And so identifying trusted mentors and being proactive about cultivating relationships and maintaining them over time and then paying it forward and making sure that as you transition into the field or into academia, that you are holding space and time to proactively mentor others is really important. And then I think everyone should continue to reflect on current events and the Black Lives Matter movement in trying to understand how we can move towards anti-racist public health work. And it can't only be about reducing health inequities, but moving past that and really achieving anti-racist public health work where everybody is able to live in a society in which they can thrive. And so those are probably the things I would list at this moment. I don't even, I can't even wrap that up because I think that there's just so many moving pieces, like you said. And the one part that really stuck out to me is that we want to be creating these spaces where people can thrive. It's not just existing in these spaces and it's not just recognizing your power and privilege and doing nothing about it. It's about this really active and proactive approach to lifting others up and recognizing how you got there and turning around and making sure that other folks are coming along with you. That's really exciting. And you've already mentioned that you are a mentor yourself. So I applaud you for that. Let's see, as we wrap up, we're going to do a quick lightning round. So we're going to just go through a really quick list of questions and just get some really quick responses. So if you could learn any language, what would it be? Yeah, I, I mean, I think about that for a second. I would really like to learn Arabic if I had the time and space to do it. I would also like to learn sign language. And so I am eight months pregnant and saw friends and family members in the early years where they had young children communicate effectively with sign language. And that's something I learned a little bit of in elementary school, but think that it's an important skill. And so if I had time, I think I would pick between those two. Yeah, let's see, what is your favorite season? Definitely the fall. And it is a combination of my birthday happens to be in October. Halloween is my favorite holiday and then followed by Thanksgiving. And so I think that all together and the fact that I like to spend time outside, fall is far beyond all the other choices with regards to being my favorite. It's a good time of the year and some good holidays. Are you a cat person or a dog person? Definitely a dog person. I'm allergic to most cats and I have a now three-year-old beagle basset hound mix. Her name is Scarlet, and so she's considered a bagel because she's facet and beagle. I love that. <laughs> a little bagel. Oh. If you could have any other career than what you do now, what would it be? Yeah, I spend a lot of time growing up drawing and creating physical replicas of structures and houses. 
And I think that I would really enjoy creating theme parks and theme park experiences. And if I could get paid to do that, that would be lovely. I don't think I currently have all of those skills, but if I could reinvest time, I, I do really enjoy doing things involving my hands and creativity and bringing joy to others. So I think that that would be a nice culmination of all those things. That sounds really fun. I've never even thought about who designs theme parks, but it could be you. <laughs> who knows? Yep. Let's see. And then our last question, what is something you read for fun and really enjoyed recently? Yeah, I listen to a lot of podcasts these days, I will say, and audiobooks. And the one that I read most recently and enjoyed was actually authored by a college classmate of mine. And so I read American Royals by Catherine McGee, and it is a YA novel and classified as historical fiction, I believe, because it centers around the first family in a world where instead of forming a democracy at the end of the American Revolution, it was a monarchy and it follows the first family and those who are around them. And so American Royals was delightful and quick. And I think in this moment, definitely well needed escapist literature and would recommend it if that's what you're looking for. Excellent. Yeah, I think that we've got a lot more time on our hands. So I think that I'll definitely be adding that to my reading list. But that is all we have for you today. So thank you so much, Dr. Liz Chen, for joining us today. And thank you all for listening in. If you'd like to find out more about our guest this week, you can reach her here. And as always, follow us on Twitter, LinkedIn, and Facebook for more author interviews. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this week's episode from the HPP podcast. If you enjoyed this content, let us know. You can find more from us on our website, social media, Sophie, and Sage. And you can find all of these links in the podcast description. Take care.